Hi everyone, welcome to Irish Theatre at Play, Ireland's newest theatre podcast that focuses on all things theatre and performance. My name is Dr. Carol Quigley and I'll be your host as we delve into different areas of the theatre weekly. Each episode we'll be joined by experts in their field and we'll ask them how it works, why it works and what the theatre industry means to them. We'll leave no stone unturned as we look to break down that fourth wall. Eating and drinking is most definitely allowed throughout, flash photography is optional, and mobile phone usage is encouraged if you want to connect with us. So please, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome back to this week's episode of Irish Theatre at Play. I'm Dr. Carl Quigley, your host. And this week I am excited and delighted to have, shall I say, old friend. We've probably known each other a long time at this point. And we kind of came up through the PhD circuit at the same time. Um, Dr. Kira Murphy, hello and welcome. How are you? Good, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Delighted to have you here. Um, so... Some of you guys, you may have noticed that I mentioned Dr. Murphy um, or Kira in the very first episode of Irish Theatre Play when I was talking about um, gender counts and waking the feminists. And that's what we're going to have a chat about today because Kira has done a huge amount of work um, on looking at gender in, in Irish theatre and five years on from waking the feminists. But before we get to that, Kira, who are you? Tell us about yourself. Right. How long have you got? No. Uh, so <laughs> at the moment, I'm lecturer uh, of English and Creative Arts at NUI Galway. So um, I did my PhD at NUIG on uh, performance and social change. Um, and um, I suppose got involved with um, kind of like research around kind of like social issues and how they kind of link to the creative arts industry in the middle of that through Waking the Feminists. Um, it's been sort of like a labour of love since then um, in terms of kind of like engaging with you know like statistics and kind of data to try and see how we can kind of like make the arts industry better um, and I suppose with Waking the Feminists you know it's been you know since 2016 or 2017 when the first report came out we have the opportunity to kind of see that sort of like measurable change and that's kind of informed what I've been doing since so I worked a little bit with Sounding the Feminists on their project um, which was quite similar in kind of premise to Waking the Feminists um, and that's it really I've been kind of knocking around doing research on gender and the creative arts ever since delightful and tell us what um what's sounding the feminists so sounding the feminists is a research project um, that kind of emerged out of the aftermath of the original waking the feminist project um, and it's specifically looking at compositional opportunities on the island of ireland and how those roles are gendered and the kind of impact of that um, so similar in sort of methodology to the waking the feminist project you know an attempt to kind of quantify those creative roles but also to move a little bit further and kind of like assess um you know how much funding was given to certain projects you know how that is gendered how kind of class 
class and social status and also jurisdiction impact that because it's an all island um, project. So the first phase of that has concluded now um, and we're hoping that we might get funding for a second phase at some point. Um, but like everything, you know, these research projects are kind of dependent on funding and we were lucky to have Arts Council funding for um, for the first Waking the Feminist project and for the first phase of Sounding the Feminists. Um, albeit not a lot of funding, but still some. It's better than nothing. It's never enough funding. It's never enough funding. Um, and these projects, you know, they aren't easy to fund um, oftentimes mm. either. Mm. Cool. So tell us then, so obviously a few weeks ago would have kind of given a bit of the, the background to Waking the Feminists and, and how all of that came about. But give us a bit more detail on the actual gender counts report. So what was it? Why did it happen and kind of how did it come about? Well, in 2000 and um, at the end of 2015, the Abbey Theatre were releasing their commemorative programme for the following year, 2016, which is obviously the centenary of 1916. And so their centenary programme, Waking the Nation, was released all in one go. And that would be quite unusual for the Abbey. Usually they release their programming seasonally. So the sort of omissions in terms of what was present in those 10 productions was immediately evident. Um, in a was it? Yes, in a way that it hadn't been previously. So so essentially like there were no women uh playwrights essentially there was one ali white who was was the author of me malzer which was a kind of um youth community production that wasn't taking place in the abbey and then there was three women directors and so there was outcry in the arts uh community you know around the sort of like gender breakdown especially because it was a commemorative program i feel like this was meant to be like representing the sort of nation 100 years on and we were missing, you know, the significant involvement of women in terms of kind of um, establishing that artistically. So in there was a lot of giving out, um, justifiably so, um, and a lot of defensiveness. But what was sort of obvious was there was a lot of anecdotal data. So you had people saying there are so many great women artists making work, it's ridiculous that they weren't programmed here or that they're not considered as programmable by the National Theatre. And then you had people on the other side, including the artistic director at the time, kind of saying, you know, there's just not that many good women playwrights and I'm not going to put up work that is kind of like substandard to kind of fulfil a sort of a, a quota. And so the kind of... The, the dialogue began like are there enough women artists and creators out there to actually like sustain equality and so that's where the kind of report and the research group of waking the feminists came in we wanted to look and see what the actual data was to see how we're kind of producing work you know at what level and you know what is the gender breakdown of that so gender counts took I think 10 top funded arts council um, organizations and assessed what the creative breakdown of roles was um, over a 10 year period. And there was a gender imbalance um, across all organizations pretty much, but it also demonstrated that with like uh, places like the Dublin Fringe Festival who were kind of closer to parity than say like more higher funded places like the Gate or the Abbey, it showed that there were, it was kind of, there was a near equity kind of entering the kind of I suppose like you know lower bridge of the ladder in terms of how people make work but as I suppose more affluent uh, kind of um, institutions or kind of better opportunities happened as you kind of move further up that triangle the imbalance got greater so that's kind of what the report aimed to kind of show um, and quantify was that imbalance. Yeah and I think that's something that, that that's really interesting because obviously it's not a perfect um, kind of analysis of it in that you know for example if somebody if there has been the same artistic director of a company for 10 years well then you know it's going to look like a gender imbalance when it's not really it's just it's just that there was one person there but 
I think that it is very interesting to see how across some of the the lesser funded companies or the newer kind of work that that there is more parity and then that kind of tends to disappear. I think that's something we see. I mean, you know, we've we've seen it in academia. We you know we we see it in, in a lot of ways that the further up the ladder you go, um, and then I suppose you know the Abbey being Ireland's national theatre, you know, if, if that kind of a stage um, and place isn't allowing opportunities um, for women and, and women creatives, then what hope is there, you know, at, at the top of that ladder? Um, and what happened or what was kind of the reaction to the gender accounts report being published? Yeah, there was difficulties in the sort of later weeks of the report coming out. Like we did get pushback from, you know, the artistic community, not as a whole, but in part, you know, during the research period. So I joined Waking the Feminist as a researcher. I think it was the very start of 2016, maybe January or February, but I, I can't actually be exact. And I think it was almost a year later when the report came out. Um, and so like there was a lot of work that kind of went on like in the intervening months like literally I was in archives all around Dublin like literally trying to pull out kind of information from like theatre programmes and kind of festival posters and things and so there was loads of support but also loads of caution because people didn't really know what we were going to find and so I think we all knew it was bad but I don't think we knew it was that bad. And I think there was sort of a fear that there would be sort of kind of scapegoating going on because of the dramatic way in which I suppose like the movement emerged through that kind of like hashtag waking the nation, hashtag waking the feminist kind of dichotomy. But mostly people were really kind of happy to have the information, you know? And when you were talking there about, I suppose, like the individual contexts of companies, you know, we did, we had kind of quantitative data whereby we were literally counting and kind of developing percentage representation. But there was also a qualitative, you know, contextualization going on, whereby if say with Druid, where Gary Hines is the artistic director and she directs most of their productions, um, or, you know, that's the opposite in other cases that that's kind of accounted for and kind of like established. Um, so the reaction was really positive. It sort of got a lot more attention than I was expecting, you know, because it is a research report at the end of the day. Like people don't necessarily always sit down and read those for kicks. They're not the most thrilling of reads at the best of times. <laughs> no, but it was really positive. And, you know, what I suppose was immediately evident was the commitment by certain companies and organizations to actually um, take on some of the recommendations that we'd made in the original report about kind of having a strategy for gender parity and having a strategy for, I suppose, like, you know, releasing gender statistics to like the paying audience and, you know, through their programs and things. So there was a commitment in June 2018, I think, for about 10 companies who kind of signed up to like a strategy and some of our recommendations to kind of keep their own kind of counts and to kind of factor that into their own um you know their own creation and you know producing and commissioning of work um so that was the kind of the biggest positive to come out of it I think the fact that it wasn't just us going to be sitting there counting everything all the time that now that kind of baton was being passed over to the community who had to kind of self-police themselves in some way and I suppose the hope was that it wouldn't just be gender that would kind of you know it wasn't just like the methodology could be applied outwardly not just towards gender but towards other kind of issues of concern like we have a diversity problem in Irish theatre I don't think like I'm you know like saying anything groundbreaking and saying that and so we kind of thought that our methodology would be fluid enough to be you know taken up and kind of utilized kind of improve those sorts of things as well and just on the the kind of the wider diversity thing is that um 
even though that that wouldn't have been kind of officially being researched at the time of, of the um, gathering of data for the gender counts report even anecdotally was that something that that you noticed or you know was even more stark than than you would have thought kind of going through the research and, and going through the the programs and, and all that yeah like you notice things like you know you're looking you know we had a really strict methodology and that was really to our benefit because you come up against you know and performance is a fluid thing as well like how do you define theater like that's a really hard thing to do so we had a really firm methodology but you're still gathering things you know before you exclude them and so you get to see patterns emerge like we weren't really kind of calculating anything in regards to funding um but you kind of see higher funded projects tended to be sort of gendered in a certain way um even more so um in terms of like diversity like i mean like everything was white pretty much like you know it's really like it's so stark um, you know, like to measure it again, it would be a very interesting thing to do because again, you kind of see more diversity in sort of like things like the fringe festivals or in um, the children's theatres and things like that. So there's sort of like a trickiness there. And, you know, as a researcher myself, like it's very it's very easy to get sidelined so there was all this really interesting and important stuff going on in regards to gender but yet the information I was like sifting through in the archives was telling loads of different stories as well which I'd love to come back to and I hope I will be able to I have like loads of mini projects in my head that can kind of emerge out of this work um but you know there's wider issues here and I think the methodology is kind of robust enough to be able to kind of like be the first step to tackle quite a lot of those actually Mm, yeah yeah and I, I think it's it's incredibly important. And I mean, I you know, I would be very conscious that that, that we're sitting here as as two white women who you know um, can only try and allow space or give space up for for discussion of um, much broader issues, which are incredibly incredibly important and certainly historically have been have been overlooked in Irish theatre, um, in Irish society more broadly, but but definitely within Irish theatre. So we've gender counts, we've our action plan, we've, you know, pledges made as a result. Um, here we are five years on, ish, which is kind of terrifying. <laughs> it's really scary. Um, but you uh, have gone on to do further research um, kind of five years on. So would you like to tell us about, about that? That project that you've just completed yeah so myself uh and then kiro dowd brenda donahue and sarah durkin uh dr kiro dowd and dr brenda Dun brenda donahue and sarah durkin all have um we kind of like worked together i suppose to kind of check in and see how we were getting on in the kind of like intervening five years these recommendations had been made companies had made their own kind of pledges and so uh, we wanted to measure and see whether it was working or not whether the report itself had had any sort of like tangible effect and um, thankfully they it did <laughs> like you know the numbers are in a much healthier better place um, than they had been um, and I suppose this was a less sort of arduous um sort of approach because we were gathering I suppose five years worth of information from companies um who had kind of like pledged to kind of keep track of these themselves or um you know who were I suppose working in a with more awareness of, of, of these numbers. So what we did was we um 
we measured the statistics of the companies who had kind of signed up to the pledge in 2018 and we also revisited the companies um, that we looked at in gender counts and so there's a little bit of crossover between those but it amounted to you know a significant I think it was about 12 or 13 sort of companies and organizations um, and so um, I suppose the things that we observed was that organizations uh, were counting uh, representation around gender um, and that a lot of them were using the Waking the Feminist methodology so we have templates and like instructions on our website for any company or organization that wants to do so it's wakingthefeminist.org um, but they also were counting like additional categories such as like technicians and stage managers and, and producers uh, which is great because those are kind of we you know had a kind of a strict enough set set of creative roles that we examined and so there was um, a greater kind of diversity of roles examined um, and what was great I suppose what I really thought was great was that many of these organizations incorporated this kind of check of gender representation into their programming processes. So they kind of made that counting an important factor in kind of like planning and funding decisions. Um, but I do, I suppose, think that there's quite a lot of methodologies out there. So I don't know, I would kind of be advocating for maybe like a standardized methodology kind of, you know, like put forward by the Arts Council or someone like that. So that the stats are there for everyone to see all the time for those who are making work using public money so that there's not a variation in sort of how we're counting these things. Because as you know yourself, like, you know, different methodologies will produce slightly different data sets. So having a sort of like more solid range um, of information would be good. Um, yeah, and it's, it's important to overcome any potential biases, kind of implicit biases within construction of your methodology and awareness of your own blind spots and that yeah it's very important yeah one thing as well that we noticed which was good was um that i suppose the particip participation of like non-binary people and people who are kind of gender non-conforming in the sector is being recorded and quantified in the data that we had kind of received from companies um and so the recorded figures were kind of too small to make a statistical impact it was still really interesting and kind of good to see how that sort of like we've moved on beyond a binary representation of gender um, and how that's kind of being reflected in the work which I think shows you know room for that kind of like sharing of space and that we're not just talking about male and female that we're actually kind of like you know regarding and assessing the industry in terms of where it is um but there's I suppose from kind of having the context of these organizations and the people that work in them and the statistics, it's really clear that when the board or the executive within an organization is really supportive of kind of best practice in counting and tracking and reporting. So when the government governance in an organization is strong and believes this to be a priority, um, the figures are better the structures are better, the methodologies are better. So it's really clear that it has to come from the top, that it can't just be a sort of ad hoc thing thrown in at the end. Um, and thankfully, a lot of companies are doing that. Um, Druid, for example, the governance section on their website is like a really good methodology for other companies to use. Everything there is kind of transparent and how they do it. Um, their spreadsheets are there, how they count it, what their methodology is. So, you know, it's, it's clear, like it, it works, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm going to bring up the, the dreaded COVID word here. <laughs> How do, is there anything else we can talk about these days? How do you think, um, obviously, you know, this theatre is, I know everybody says one of the worst affected industries, but I mean, it, you know, it, it really fundamentally has been one of the worst affected industries um, over the past year. How do you think, the, the impact of COVID on theatre in, in Ireland 
may affect this or may kind of put people back or or would it actually go the opposite way and kind of tear up the rule book and allow for more progressive change more quickly or what do you think um get the crystal ball out there yeah so i have a little bit of anecdotal evidence which is sort of contrary to what we were talking about but i think we need to be really careful I can see that there are structural inequalities um, kind of being exacerbated by the pandemic. And this completely makes sense. Like if we look at society, we see that uh, the dominant amount of kind of like um, labor in terms of childcare, in terms of like home management, in terms of women not being able to kind of like, you know, progress in their careers. You know, it's women that are being affected, you know, disproportionately um, through COVID because of kind of caring responsibilities, lack of flexibility and all of that we're definitely seeing that in theatre and so I know anecdotally that a lot of the kind of like funding applications that are going in now you know 10 you know are like there is a sort of a gender imbalance starting to occur even at that stage that's really tricky because Covid kind of is very friendly to the kind of like one performer show uh, type thing it's very friendly towards the kind of like written and performed text it's not friendly towards collaborative creation it's not friendly towards devising um it's not friendly towards like dance and movement um and if you look historically i suppose at like trends in irish theater and in like european western theater like you know collaborative devised practice tends to be a woman-based feminist pursuit that's where it emerged that's where it emerged from i mean here in ireland in like the 80s you had Sharbank theater company making work like that that was engaged in that way so and it's filtered down so you can't, that's not happening. That sort of collaboration um, is sort of uh, hindered. And so I think that we kind of can see the imbalances happening. And so we can kind of maybe make sure that they're not uh, made worse. But I do think we need to be really careful because I think it's unrealistic to expect that sort of like the kind of gender gap is widening everywhere else because of the pandemic. And it's not going to happen in the arts where there already is one established. So I think we need to kind of be careful there. So I would have a sort of slight fear that things may get get a little bit worse but I do think that we also have kind of no excuse to allow that like we actually have the tools to kind of prevent this and with companies like the ones we assess you have really like strict policies around commissioning and programming it's important that they don't let those um kind of principles go now just for ease of kind of creation during COVID because that's how you allow like the status quo to kind of develop back in a sort of unequal sort of a way so I'm equally hopeful and sort of fearful um I guess we'll have to see yeah, yeah, no, and it, it is going to be interesting because, I mean, even, you know, I'm off the back of producing this show that, that closed last week um, that was staged for COVID times, you know, it devised before Christmas with students and that was all devised with COVID in mind. And it's amazing the the possibilities that theatre has been afforded through the pandemic and all of the restrictions that go with it. But as I keep saying to people who say, like, how'd the show go? And I said, well, there's a reason we didn't make theatre like this before. You know, so it is it is kind of a balance of seeing, trying to find ways for new opportunities while still then being conscious of um, the myriad of, of issues that are being raised and, and specifically along gender-based lines in, as you said, in all aspects of kind of wider society. And so... We had Waiting the Feminists, we have five years on, we have a pandemic. Where are we going now? I think we need to look 
quite heavily at representation in Irish theatre. We've done the counting now. We can kind of see the raw statistics. But what does it really mean, though? Um, first of all, it's not just about gender. It's about class. It's about ethnicity. It's about background. It's about uh, community. It's about all sorts of things. So there's loads of kind of like directions that we need to go in this. And I do think that there is sort of... Um, Organ, you know, there's there's a lot of work being done in the industry at the moment to try and create like inclusivity. But um, Leon Bell, who was speaking on a webinar that I was organizing at NUI Galway at the start of the semester, was talking about how she hates the kind of term inclusivity. That it's really about sharing space, actually, and it's not up. There's not like a kind of um, a hierarchy whereby I get to decide who gets included. Like really, it's space that we share. So I think it's kind of moving towards that is really important. I also think, yeah, it's about representation. So it's kind of, you know, we're having discussions in theatre now about how we kind of stage certain things. Me and my students, and they're like always kind of teaching me new things around kind of, I suppose, like content warnings and sort of the things that we place on stage. Um, you know, what do we, if we have women on stage, um, but they're only getting horrible things, they're, it's only horrible things happening to them where there's like violence being perpetrated upon them and you know or there's you know a sort of they're like always sort of like subordinate characters they're always um they just kind of come exactly they come in and they carry the tea and they go away again I mean even though they're kind of counted in the category of cast and they're there like like what does it mean that they're there because everything on stage is political and bodies are political so if we're going to the theater as audiences and we're only reading women's participation in a certain way um, that's problematic you know we have to kind of look into that we've got to look into that not just in terms of gender though we have to kind of look across the board how are like working class people represented how are travelers represented on Irish stages I can think of at least like 10 shows off the top of my head that if I was to go back now and look at them I know that that would be I mean I knew at the time it was sort of slightly dodgy but now I think we would have an increased vocabulary for how problematic those representations actually are Publisher, even I remember this is going back years, but it's just talking about kind of the roles that, that women play and teach students teaching us. I remember a student saying to me, um, we were discussing something and they said, um, Oh, but you that's the sexy lamp trope. And I said, The what? And they said, Think about it, how many films, because films, what we were talking about at the time, or it, it can be applied to plays, in how many films or plays could the character of the woman be just replaced by a particularly nice looking lamp and it wouldn't make any difference <laughs> you know and that is that is something that's deeply problematic and even you know i remember being a, a student in drama societies myself and you'd look at the plays going on they'd be like, but there are women in the plays and you go but the, the, but they're not great characters you know they're not interesting characters they're not they can actually be quite problematic for, for a whole pile of reasons yeah and also the structures leading up to that like you know rehearsal techniques how are we dealing with intimacy in rehearsal room? How are we dealing with kind of representing difficult subjects? How are we looking after our performers? I mean, that we haven't thought about that in the last like 30 years, only in the last five, maybe. So it's good that we're starting to, but we also have to make sure that the rooms in which this work is being created, is being created responsibly and safely because we know that there are problems in the industry, like there are. Um, and so that's also a factor because it's not just what happens on stage that the audience see or that we study as academics or our students, but it's actually the process of creation needs to be above board too. Oh, for sure. I mean, talk about anecdotes. We could be here all day yeah. talking about stories of, 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 yeah, really, really problematic, really difficult stuff that happened. And as you and I are both academics, primarily teaching drama students most of the time, what can we do? 
But in your opinion, what, what can we do to kind of help these things? Yeah, so like a large part of my of the role that I'm uh, in now is kind of like looking at how are we reimagining the creative arts curriculum, essentially. So I've spent like about nine months like thinking about this. So something like, you know, canon is sort of a fluid thing, but it's also really political. So I think we have to be striving towards like gender equality and representation of other kind of communities on our syllabi. Like, you know, in terms of if you're setting 10 plays, like there, there should be uh, representation among them that should not be tokenized. But also if you are running into like historical periods where it is tricky or the, or the information just simply isn't there, um around kind of uh to diversify perhaps your syllabus as much as you would want to you need to make sure that the secondary work that you're setting to contextualize that is not all looking the same so if you have to teach something and you've got a few kind of like you know like uh white male writers for example maybe all the criticism that's kind of like engaging with that work doesn't have to be like look like that as well um so that's really where I think I think that's what we can do. And also just to encourage our students to kind of read more widely and to kind of create work and to kind of question what like a canon is and, you know, how, how that works. And like, you know, responsible structures in our own classroom, I think is really important to to give students to kind of empower students to kind of like question um, what goes on. Because we do release them out into the world of professional theatre then and they should know what it looks like when something isn't right. Yeah, yeah, no, and absolutely, I echo that, and it's something, yeah, I think, you know, we all do to a certain extent, but we all absolutely need to be more conscious of in terms of our, our kind of module content and module delivery, and um, even, yeah, it's something I find when there's a case where I can't be diverse, I comment on it. And I comment on why it can't be diverse, because actually there are potential writings that, that we don't have access to anymore, you know, particularly when you're looking at kind of historical stuff and that, um, you know, and, and addressing that with students. Yeah, I think it's really, really important. Um, well, thank you so much. This has been super informative, super. Well, I mean, look, we're talking about feminism. I'm always going to be here for it. Um, I'm, I'm all about the feminist spaces and the feminist voices. Um, but look, thank you so much for having us for having us thank you so much for being here it's been an absolute pleasure Kira. um you'll definitely be on again at some point hopefully going on about about similar similar topics which i think let's be honest even five years on from waking feminists we're only beginning this conversation you know i mean i think it's one that um certainly has been going on since the days of kind of in some ways writing lady gregory out of Abbey Theatre history to a certain extent and you know I, I think it's something that's really to the fore of our minds now but but we've a long way to go absolutely um, so thank you very much and I'll talk to you again okay thanks for having me thanks